0: In London, technology is the Silicon Roundabout. Introducing a new talk show dedicated to the people of the London technology startup scene. Silicon Real. Each week, interviewing entrepreneurs, venture capitalists, financial technology, accelerators, and incubators in an exciting three-person format. Learn about the people behind the innovation. Locally filmed, locally sourced. Silicon Reel, it's about the people. This is Silicon Reel, the weekly talk show dedicated to the people of the London technology startup scene. I'm Brian Rose. I also host London Reel. It's a similar setup, same studio. Uh, we get three people in the room try to figure out what the hell is going on. Uh, this week we had uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson, the uh, rock and roll astronomer. Uh, we've had uh, Tim Ferriss from the 4-Hour Everything. Uh, we've had uh, uh, people like Max Kaiser in here from Russia today. So check that out if you want. But today we're here to talk about tech. My co-host is Entrepreneur Colin Pyle, who's uh, running uh, coffee companies, uh, language uh, learning schools, very appropriate for today. You just came back from a European tour. What's going on?
1: Yeah, flying around trying to sort of lock down that supply chain for the coffee. So uh, (laughs) you know, spending some time in northern Italy and Naples and uh, in Germany. So it's it's hard, but it's it's coming along. It's not you know taking three beans from completely different places in the world, bringing them all together. And then roasting them, grinding them, encapsulating them, and having them arrive at your door is, it's tough. is much more difficult than I And it's tougher
0: yeah. than you thought it was going to be. Way tougher. Okay. That's a uh, good, but th- we're getting it, though. Yeah. That's what makes a good entrepreneur is they don't know what they're going to get into. <laughs> yeah. Or they never would have done exactly, it, right? Exactly,
1: yeah. Sometimes going in blind is, is, is the only way to go in. Yeah,
0: so, definitely. But you know, yeah. Bef- um, Before we get to our guests, I just wanted to give a shout out to TaskRabbit, who are, are sponsoring this episode. They're an online marketplace, allows people to outsource small jobs to people in their neighborhood. They just got to London a few months ago. Uh, we had Lauren Sherman on, their head of community. She was awesome. Great show if you want to pick that up. Uh, but uh, they're doing uh, not only you can get people to clean your house and all this other stuff, but they also run a lot of our back-end operations at Silicon Reel.
1: Yeah, they're helping us so much right now. They're really good. Yeah, my since coffee's sort of gone nuts, I've just been so busy and so yeah, it's not just tasks like just easy tasks. She's she's really cranking it out. Yeah,
0: so thank they've you, got Bonnie. people. Yeah, Bonnie's yeah. really <laughs> hooking us up. So if you want to give them a try, you can use the code real twenty five and get twenty five pounds. That's like three hours of work, and they'll literally do anything. They'll come come and uh, Robin from Datch had them clean after one of their company parties. Yep. they'll go get your coffee. They might even give you a foot massage. I don't even know. Maybe that's none of my business. But if you want to check it out, it's real 25 and uh, it's all good. So uh, thanks to them. Uh, let's get on with the show. Our guest today is Mr. Bernard Niesner, Hi. who is uh, the founder and CEO of Busuu, which is uh, the world's largest social network for language learning. I think you have more than 35 million users. It's probably more now. <laughs> 40 million now. 40 million. Are you at like 50,000 a day or 40,000 yeah, a day? Yeah, around
2: between 40,000, 50,000 new signups
0: a day. Some big numbers. Yeah. Very big numbers. Um, you guys uh, are, are looking to revolutionize the way people learn languages uh, via the use of tech. Yeah. Um, I believe you You raised uh, 3.5 million in Series A around 2012. Yes, you're, exactly. You're right near us in, in, the, in the roundabout. You also um, mentor at uh, Telefonica Weira. Yeah. Uh, we, we love Weira. We've had a bunch of Weira companies but... in here. We had Simon Devonshire in here that man is tall. Mm. <laughs> he is very tall. Um, so uh, we love those people. Uh, Bernard, welcome to Silicon Real. Well, thanks a lot. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for being here. You know, uh, Busu is a language that's spoken in Cameroon, right? Exactly. Uh, by eight people. Is that yeah. about right? That's about right. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, why that name? What are you trying to say?
2: Well, actually, so when we started the company, we were obviously looking for a name. And we had this idea why we don't call the company uh, f- by a language which is uh, on the verge of extinction. You know, there are 6,000 languages out there and half of them are about to extinct. So we went through the list of the UNESCO, uh, which publishes uh, the, the languages which are, you know, close to extinction, and we like Pursuit. And the .com was still available, so we went for that.
0: There you go. Is there a Cameron, uh, like .cameron as well? I mean, is there like a URL that they have or something?
2: I I, I suppose. But what we did in in, in 2011, we actually felt that, okay, it's good that we, we are called like a nearly extinct language, but we should be doing something for this language as well. So we sent our crazy Spanish creative agency, La Dispensa, to Cameroon to actually find those eight people. And uh, they went off for, I think, a month. It was quite logistically complicated because they only speak Spanish. So we need to translate it from Spanish to English, from English to a local language, and then from another local language to Buzu. Uh, And they went like two weeks into the forest. Uh, The Buzu people live close to the Nigerian border. And we did a very cool viral uh, video, which you can find on, on YouTube. So if you go to busu.com slash uh, you actually see those eight people dancing to a very cool busu song.
1: Wow. So can you actually learn busu on yes. busu? Yes. So the thing
2: is that now we uh, worked there together with a linguist and uh, we recorded some of the, uh, the busu good. language and it's probably the, the only record of this language at all uh, available. And we use the same technology and methodology, how we teach English or Spanish or French, uh, to teach Buzu. So you can learn uh, what's your name, you can order a beer in Busu. Uh, so we have a few phrases on our website which you can uh, learn in Buzu.
1: Wow,
0: I was wondering if you could take us through the evolution of this company. I mean, you know, you're know, you no spring chicken for Busuu. You've been there over six years, right?
2: Yeah, exactly, time flies. Yeah. It's nice
0: to see, because a lot of people think a startup is all about the quick flip after two years. And I think I saw <laughs> a video. Doesn't happen. Doesn't happen, right? <laughs> and I think I saw a video where you were saying, if you go in for the quick flip, then you'll never get it, because those, those aren't the kind of people that build big companies.
2: Yeah, exactly. Because you have to
0: want to do it. But, but walk us through, what, what has Busuu done, and what are you looking to do in the future?
2: Yeah, so basically we started the company in 2008. Um, um, after doing an MBA at IE Business School. So I was before in management consulting, uh, wanted to have a break of that, uh, went to do an MBA uh, at this business school and met there my uh, co-founder, Adrian, who uh, has a, techno- a technological background. So at a Random Network event, we met up there. He had this idea of language learning online. I was looking for a team to join. And in the business school, there was quite a strong focus on entrepreneurship. So basically, throughout the MBA, you were supposed to write business plans and, and, you know, develop the idea. And we we met throughout the year and liked really this idea of how we can revolutionize the way uh, people learn languages. Because if you face it, over the last 10 years, the only real innovation in language learning had been maybe a CD-ROM. The rest, we're always learning a language exactly the same. So we felt, especially at that time, Facebook was coming strongly into Europe. If there is a smart way of using technology and this whole concept of a social community, to learn languages. So, developed uh, uh, the concept um, as part of our, of our MBA. Um, pitched it uh, at the end, didn't get a very good grade on that, but uh, still decided uh, to go forward. And whereas all our colleagues went to London to become bankers for Goldman Sachs and GP Morgan, uh, we decided to stay in Spain and founded the company right after graduation. So um, in 2008, we founded the company. Uh, we developed the, 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 uh, the, the business with a, with a very small team. So as it was 2008 and 2009, it was quite difficult to raise funds because it was right in the middle of the Lehman Brothers crisis so a lot of the funds we met at that time didn't want to, uh, to give us the money so we decided okay we just do it with our own money and went on the, on the bootstrap trip so uh, we were only a team of four or five people and you know very lean approach always very careful of where we we're spending our money and we grew the business with a few angel rounds uh, to then nearly 10 15 20 million users And in 2012, um, when actually the whole economic situation in Spain wasn't that great, big economic crisis, uh, strikes on the streets, uh, it was not a very good environment to have a high-growth startup, uh, we decided to exchange the uh, sunny tapas for the, the rainy pines, and took the whole company and the whole team uh, and moved them over to London. Right After your are. financing round? After the financing round, <laughs> okay. exactly. You, Don't that... do it before, because otherwise... <laughs> <laughs> it's too expensive. It's actually
0: too expensive. Was that an obvious move, something that everyone was thinking you had to? Because it must get comfortable hanging out in Madrid. Yeah. Mean, you got everything you want...
2: Well, that's the thing, like with hindsight, we should have done it a few years earlier. So I believe it would be now in a completely different situation if we had moved early on. So we really trying to scale the business and, and to, uh, to scale our team. But. Um, I think that's a big difference. And now getting to know the London tech scene also more, you realize how wonderful this ecosystem is, how big it is, how much talent you have in this city. And that's not easy to replicate. There are probably a few places in the world, and you know, obviously in the US and maybe in Israel, uh, and then London, and maybe a bit in Berlin. But in all the other countries, it's very difficult to replicate such an ecosystem because you might have only maybe 10 startups which have come to a considerable size. Whereas here in London, you might have 50 or, or, or even 100 uh, which, are, which are bigger and therefore you can get access to a lot of knowledge. So we tried to do it in, in Madrid, couldn't find, you know, iOS developer or Android developers. The knowledge wasn't there at that time. Everyone was studying law or, or, or business and you maybe had only two or three other startups doing something in, in, in that area. Um, so we said Let's just move it out. We, we we considered New York, we considered uh, Berlin, and we considered uh, London. And at the end of the day, we, we came out with London as a clear winner and took this decision, which, you know, obviously was, was an important one. We cut down completely operations, took the team of around 10 people, had a big moving van with over 200 moving boxes. Everyone had to find new apartments. Some people mm-hmm. took their kids from the kindergarten, from Madrid, to one here in London. We had to set up our operations completely from scratch. So no office, no lawyers, no tax advisors, no, you know, it was really literally beginning nearly from scratch, just as a website, which was still up and running, and a few bunch of very motivated people, and then uh, here we are.
0: That's a story. That's a, good That's one. a real story. Now, New, yeah. York, New York really wouldn't have been practical, because you couldn't have got the visas for those 10 people.
2: Exactly. It's about the visa. Yeah. It's also a pain in the ass to move a, a European entity into the United States, okay. especially if you're at the later stage and have already a certain you know, IP. So uh, moving within Europe is okay. Um, New York would have done at the end. We discarded it because of that.
0: Okay. That's a great story. Just to finish off my question, what is uh, the plans for the future? As in, you're at 40 million users now. Where where do you want to be or where can you realistically
2: be? Yeah. So we're talking about the market, which is probably around $250 billion big and where there's a billion people out there who are learning English, which is going to be $2 by 2020. So it's a massive market. If you live in an English-speaking country, you're obviously not necessarily that exposed to this whole idea of language learning because asking the question, how many yeah. languages do you guys... Everyone has to, to join your party, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. So English, if you live yeah. in Austria, like, like myself, or, or in Spain, everyone somehow has to learn English, and I learned four languages in, in, in total. So it's kind of a, a very known concept, and, and, and it's part of your life. Um, And the same applies obviously to all these emerging markets. So we're growing massively in Brazil, massively in Russia, in China, uh, talking about countries like Indonesia, Vietnam, where language learning is not a hobby, but it's a route to success. The taxi driver in Rio de Janeiro with the upcoming uh, World Cup and Olympics knows perfectly that he will make more money if he just speaks a few words in English, he doesn't need to be able to read Shakespeare, he just needs to be able to bring someone to the airport and, you know, say a few numbers in English. And that's the core motivation of those people. And that combines with um, growth in mobile penetration, so people suddenly getting access to mobile devices, especially smartphones. In Brazil where we have very strong mobile smartphone penetration, and also getting access to uh, credit cards or payment methods. I mean, just creates a massive change for this industry. So it's a huge market and it's growing at a tremendous uh, speed. And what we want to be, is we not just want to you know, create offline language learning, replicate it and do it online. We want to make sure that the way you learn a language is simply much easier and more efficient if you do it with Busuu. So we're currently working a lot on the product itself. Um, we realize that motivation is one of the key obstacles to learn a language. It's not necessarily affordability, affordability. it's not necessarily access to the content because now people more and more can get access to it. It's really about keeping the people motivated because we're competing against the Candy Crush and the Facebooks and the Twitters. So we want to make sure that language learning is so fun and engaging that people actually stick with it and by that advance. So what we want to do is to make it much more motivational and engaging but we're also working on an adaptive learning uh, system which... Easily recognizes what kind of level you have, realizes what's your objective in the level, in, in the language, visualizes this uh, goal setting, like we all know from running apps or you know, the job ons of improving like, life and the whole idea of quantifying yourself, using that for education and making sure that the content that we, the content that we show to you is um, um, important to you. Uh, and, you know, is, is interesting for you. So also adapt the content according to your specific needs. And if you're achieving that, then we should be able to create a system where you simply can cut down maybe on 30% of acquisition time for a foreign language as opposed to other materials.
1: Colin, you you spent some time in this space, I mean, yeah.
0: You, you know, you you had the whole Mandarin Language School, right? Yeah, so. <laughs> well, I, I did
1: the Mandarin Language School, and then uh, you know, run, you know, invest in uh, in, in Lingos now, and, and sort of on the board. Lingos is much more offline learning, so we do zero online learning. We just connect people offline in the same geographic in, space in the same geographic to meet space. up. Okay. Yeah, but you know, looking at Busu, it's just uh, it's incredible, and I, I guess you have so much data you know where are people learning languages what language are they learning is it yeah. majority on the mobile is it on the web maybe you could just elaborate on some <clears throat> of those points
2: so that's the thing like at the moment we're turning more and more into mobile companies when we started it was pure web and then in 2008 again the iphone started to to come out there and be more used so now we grow 50 percent more on mobile devices than on on web uh, we also have more active users on mobile than web because again in emerging bar- markets people might have actually more a mobile device than a desktop at home and uh, second it's just a perfect tool for this quick action of learning once you're on the bus on the tube you know when you have to spare time so we're you know creating now our content much more usable for mobile devices because it's so easy because again it's about motivation if you have This one hour on a Sunday afternoon to sit in front of your computer, you might actually never do it. But if you do it every second day in a bus ride for 10 or 15 minutes, you're more likely to succeed. So therefore, mobile is the, is the clear focus. And with mobile, you know, also in terms of user motivation, we can send you push notifications at the right time. When you're more likely uh, to learn something, we store all your mistakes and your learning history, so we know exactly which words you saw, when did you see them, did you know them or not, and thereby create a very specific learning path. You talk
1: about push notifications. What, what are you pushing at, at your customers?
2: Um, so it's something we're still developing at the moment. At okay. the moment, there is internal reminders and push notifications if someone else has corrected you. Right. Because something I haven't mentioned yet about Busuu, which is unique, is that we allow the users to actually interact with other members of our community. So the whole idea of Busuu was that you're not only a student of a foreign language but you're also a tutor of your own native language. So when you sign up and you want to learn, let's say, Spanish, we show you the Spanish-speaking community and you can directly interact with them, with them via an integrated video chat application and peer-to-peer text corrections. So you click on a person. And your know, uh, video chat opens and you can directly practice your skills. And it's super fu- powerful, again, in countries where um, if you live in the middle of nowhere in, in Brazil, it's not that easy to get access to real English native speakers.
0: That's a, that's an amazing like, you know, possibility yeah. there that yeah. kinda of blows my mind. You know, this is Silicone Real and so it's time to get real. We're gonna ask you a couple questions about your business model. I'm gonna go first. All right. But you know what I when I read, you know, it's a, a social network for uh, for languaging, I think, okay, I I already try to juggle right now six social networks. You know, I got Facebook, I got Instagram, I got Pinterest, I got all these other things. How can you convince people that they need a new social network mm. on top of all the other ones they're trying to catch up with? Or the other ones that they're leaving. I mean a lot of people are leaving Facebook yeah. and getting over it to come to you guys?
2: Yeah, that's, that's a very good question. And I think there was this time when everyone created a social network for everything, but um, you, know, you can have a social network for cooking, but it might not actually necessarily improve your cooking skills. Whereas a social network for language learning where you can practice your language skills with someone else. That's a fundamental part of language learning. It's not just a you know uh, shiny feature. If you want to learn a language, you need to practice, and we solve that by interacting with other users. So I think it's just an integral part of language learning is to practice your skills, and that's done with the social community. And second, I mean, with the social plugins and logins nowadays, it's just so easy to sign up, and we don't want to have any long sign up processes, and and you know something so you can obviously Facebook and you have a Google Plus sign-up, so it's very easy to to get into the site. um, And you are just there to learn a language full stop. So there is no need to necessarily stay in touch. If you want, you can have. You obviously have friends and, 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 and chat, etc. but it's really more about the language learning program. So it's a
0: secondary effect if people get social. Exactly. But I guess yeah. if you're making people communicate with each other, it's a byproduct. That it's a byproduct. Happen, I mean, obviously we good. had
2: our, our, our first Buzu babies, so people met on the website and got <laughs> engaged and married and, and had the first babies. It's, so it's like when you have a bar, you might serve food, but then again, some people might be flirting at the bar. It's, it's a byproduct of, of what you're doing. Doing, really um, but I mean the main core focus is that people actually uh, learn a language and for that they need to practice and for that we
0: offer them uh, real people to do so. And are people doing this are they texting each other are they
2: Yeah so we have a video chat uh, where you can just try text and you have uh, also video if you want to turn it on. Our most popular feature is the peer-to-peer text corrections where you write something, let's say in Spanish, we show it to Spanish people and they uh, correct it correct normally after a minute or two. So on a daily basis, we have around 30,000 texts being corrected within our community. And the interesting part is as well, we have a few users who just correct other users. So we have this lady in Australia who has corrected more than I think 120,000 posts of uh, other people learning English. And obviously she's a retired English teacher who just that's nothing else. Get up no, in the morning. Is that for fun or do you pay for her? fun? If you don't pay anything, okay. And uh, I just, you know, one story a fun story to tell. Like one day I sent her an email saying, like, oh, thank you very much for for this amazing commitment you put into my community. And she just replied back uh, correcting my email. So, <laughs> yeah, <that's laughs> so it's kind of you know, um, she and we have a lot of retired people on the website who simply enjoy the fact to help others. Right. And what so a the silver resource, right? exactly the silver surface for us are tremendous research. Resource in, in order to, to, to help other people. And especially when you learn another language, you're normally a bit afraid of practicing and you make mistakes. And if you see then actually native speakers of the language you're learning also making mistakes in your own language, you lose this barrier and you're just, okay, I don't, I don't mind. The guy from New York also makes mistakes in, in talking Spanish. Why well, don't I have a problem with, with just doing a bit of English? And, and if I make mistakes, nothing wrong. So. That's a bit of the whole philosophy of Pursue. It's a very open, friendly place where you can make mistakes and you just uh, practice with real people.
1: Colin? Um, 50,000 users a day. That just, it blows my mind. And from sort of running a few businesses and, and trying to acquire customers, I just think that's incredible. And, and so I guess maybe if you could give some advice or some insight into how... How you scaled to 20 million with just angel funding and then how, where was that tipping point? Was it 100,000 people? Was it 5 million? And and sort of is is all your user acquisition now just organic Mm -hmm. and you know what I mean?
2: Okay, so first maybe with regards to the angel funding and the fundraising in general. um, We are super proud about the fact that we have raised only in total around 4 million euros. And all our competitors have raised massive more amount, and some of them failed actually because they have raised too much. And we also saw, especially as we couldn't raise at the beginning, fundraising not as a sign of success, but it's basically a promise you give. But that's it. So, you know, you read always on the news about they have raised this amount and this amount. It's great, but I'm I'm more proud of of building a sustainable business and having actually capital efficiency rather than raising money and just you know being in this loop of diluting yourself, obviously, as a founder, and uh, just going from one round to the other. It makes maybe some VCs happy, but at the end of the day, it's about building a real business. So we tried to raise as little as possible. How did we do that? by being super analytical about user acquisition cost versus lifetime value. Actually, at a time where it wasn't really cold like that, which is, you know, it was basic math of how much does it cost to acquire a user and what do the people spend on our website. And we realized that if we optimize this funnel, that we can actually get, you know, good returns and therefore can increase our marketing spendings over time. So we then said, okay, if we are able to buy a user for, 9 euros and he spends 10 on our website. Let's just get as many of those 9 euro users as we can for our platform. So we scaled automatically our marketing spendings. And that then simply drives, obviously, organic traffic because we realized that if you acquire 100 users via SEM or paid advertisement, normally they also give us another 100 users on top which come from free, for free because there's a word-of-mouth effect. And by that, again, we could increase our uh, marketing spendings. And as our users, we have a freemium business model, so there's a basic version where you can get access for a few stuff and few units and, and exercises. And then there's premium, uh, which costs around five to six pounds a month. We get access to grammar or a mobile app, uh, additional review types, etc. And if people pay, they normally tend to pay like in the early days of sign up. So therefore we get the money cash up front. And then we pay Google in Spain after two months and UK after one month. So we are basically working capital negative and can fi- could finance our own growth with the, p- with the money we collected from-, from our users. Therefore, we suddenly r- realized that we don't need to raise a lot of money because we could rather finance our-, our growth with our own cash flow.
1: So I guess the most difficult thing there that you said was getting your CPA to nine. And your lifetime value. Exactly, right. exactly. And making sure your numbers are right. Exactly. Because if
0: your 10 is really 8, yeah,
1: yeah. then you might have a problem. Exactly. With and then, yeah, yeah. Again, once you get to that point, then it's just, you know, dump some open money in the a, hopper. Open the and, and, gates. And, 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 and a by now, position. it's
2: still, don't get me wrong, by now, only 50%, and I think even less, actually, if we include mobile. If we include mobile, only 20 to 30% of our traffic comes from paid channels. So we're not just fully dependent on Google. Right. It's just... Something which keeps the machine going, the boat floating, but then suddenly we're going quicker and quicker because you know more people ju- uh, jump on that and, sure. and, and come into our funnel. So, I think it's a lot about optimization of the funnel. Yeah. Uh, You did so many iterations of our landing pages and then, you know, always come with this beautifully designed page where this converts better and it converts much worse than actually the the (laughs) shitty one, which looks really ugly. But, you know, it really depends on on, on the country and and language. And we have done a lot of optimization there. And um, I think we we got our numbers straight. And we are very much analytical. We track our cohorts on a weekly or monthly basis. So I think that's kind of the the trick and the the secret sauce of how to scale.
1: And are you primarily like heavily focused for online acquisition or do you do offline acquisition as well
2: We don't do any offline acquisition we well we're lucky enough to win 4 million euros uh, at, You've no, at, yeah, yeah, yeah. at so the You've got to no- tell the story
1: in 2012
0: you yes, won yeah. uh, uh, as a pro seam it was It was like,
2: pro seam so at uh, at the Noah pitch uh, conference No-A event there was a pitch conference a pitch event from, from ProSieben and uh, it was a startup competition, I think, I don't know, 60 people. ProSieben is
0: or... a big German media company. Exactly. Right? It's one
2: of yeah. the biggest German media companies and, and I think over 100 companies applied and then you know, we went into the final and we won uh, the, the first prize, which was 4 million euros of gross budget uh, for TV advertising which you could spend for free, which is fantastic. So yeah. <laughs> we were we were it's lucky enough to to win that. Yeah. How
1: many like hours of TV advertisement is that? Good question. So
2: tough. to have a rough idea, um, like one ad during like the... one ad at prime time might on a Saturday night might be up up to forty thousand euros. Jeez. So it's quite. I mean, if you look at that, and it's only twenty seconds, yeah, so like forty k, forty k, it goes quick. Um, and then again, you spread it across, and then it really depends whether you do Monday morning or it goes down much lower than that, maybe yeah. 1,000, 2,000. There's a big difference between cross value and what you really pay. So, in, in the way it works in, in Germany is that there's a very exp- like big number of gross value, but no one pays that. Everyone just pays a discounted price, which might be up to discounts of 50, 60, 70, or 80% of the gross value. Okay. So, you know, gross is a, uh, okay. a big amount, net it's still a very good amount, and if you get it for free, you definitely don't complain, and it gave us a big, big exposure with this acquisition channel, and we learned a lot. So, typical thing, we did a first spot, which was super branding, we flew to Tenerife and filmed this with the models <laughs> on the beach, and you know, fantastic weekend <laughs> we had, the spot converted really bad. So you, you can look and it you on all, YouTube. You were
0: ready. You said you had all the monitors. You were real-time. Yeah. And, and
2: exactly. And yeah, yeah, we looked it on, on analytics and absolutely nothing happened when nothing. we put this, no this spot. No, nothing. Not even, it was exactly the same. So <laughs> we all felt a bit frustrated. Then we did another spot. And also what we did, um, we actually combined it with a full 360-degree marketing campaign. So never do just... Uh, TV advertisement alone. Yeah. And it's pretty obvious now, but at that time we just ran it out and, 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 and didn't think it completely through. So we did uh, retargeting, we did display, we did Facebook, uh, you know, a lot of the typical online marketing stuff to build a campaign around it. And we did a pretty, you know, performance-oriented uh, um, TV spot with kind of Germanic humor, if, if, if that exists. Because it was and just a German audience. It was just a German oh, audience. Okay. Right. And it's basically a guy explaining how he used the in, in front of a whiteboard. And it converted 30 times better than this beautifully filmed branded spots on an island. And obviously, production cost was a big fraction of, of the first spot. Mm. So at the end, the spot converted quite well we, I think, m- more than at the end, I think tripled our brand awareness in our relevant segment in Germany.
1: Did you get David Hasselhoff to give a advert? <laughs> we should have, no. no. That have, <laughs> exactly. That would have been it. An exactly, anime, that's like a, yeah. for Through the next the one, yeah. Should have <laughs> thought, no. Um, but... he would be If he was on the beach in the Canary Islands. <laughs> Imagine, guess, then, then, then it, yeah, but yeah, next time I should hire
2: you as a <laughs> yeah. creative director. <laughs> but, I mean, um it's at the end of the day it's an expensive acquisition channel i mean you cannot compare tv to sem it's simply different metrics and it's a more long-term thing to do so um as a startup it really depends on the stage you are the money you have and 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 what kind of resources but what you definitely need to make clear is that your funnel is super optimized as well as on a normal sem funnel that you are capable of getting all this traffic in that you also do testing of the spot. So in the second spot, we had focus groups. We tested the claim of the spot in display campaigns and actually said what converts better, like uh, learn English for free or learn English mm. with a community or whatsoever, what converts best. We put on the logos of uh, um, the Google Play and iTunes, which automatically then triggered quite a lot uh, mobile downloads, which mm. wasn't in at the first time. Anyhow, you need to show the logo uh, constantly at the spot. So there are a lot of learnings And obviously, we're very glad that we had this opportunity to do Mm. TV.
0: So some of those lessons were put the player up there, put the iTunes, put the Google Play logo, put your own logo up a lot. Put your
2: own logo up constantly, have one call to action. Just a single one. Not too many messages. Don't say, join up and do this. Yeah, and then and now, exactly, like very clear message. And... As an internet company, unless you, know, you have a lot of money and it's a different segment, it's a lot about performance. So actually, I think just this idea of getting in with a branded spot, which tells a very beautiful story about a guy being lost in Spain, it doesn't work. We need downloads, we need sign-ups. And then people get into our funnel and then they know what the product is about. Um, so at the stage we are, we should have gone straight away for a performance spot, which is you know, much more blunt and direct and explains the product and optimize the spot a bit more. But at the end, we, you know, we learned the lesson and it's, it's, uh, it's a good channel, but it's not cheap. So... It's
1: a great story. So um, are you using that channel now after the free so freebies? For,
2: yeah, yeah, for the time being, we have put it on hold um, because uh, we are actually uh, soon going to raise money. So we want to make sure that we have a bit uh, deeper pockets uh, before doing that. Um, But it's a great channel and there are competitors out there in our space which do great uh, TV campaigns, ROI-positive TV campaigns in emerging markets, so you can do it. But you need a bit more of money uh, in order to, to risk it.
0: Because most, most internet startups would never consider television, I'm yeah. guessing. That would be the old school way, yeah. very hard to track, et cetera. But you, you say targeted, it's something you should Yeah, think exactly.
2: About. And you can track it. So we had like a 15-minute uh, uh, pixel tracking in place. We could we had a quite a sophisticated attribution model where in a certain window after the spot was shown, you actually attributed this lead then uh, to, to this specific campaign. We knew exactly how much the spot was, how many users it generated. So, but at the end of the day, it's a more long-term acquisition channel. So if you want to grow fast, you'd rather go for SEM than go for TV.
0: You know, you're very analytical, Bernard. Is this a Viennese thing? <laughs> because, you know, a lot of companies talk about A-B testing, but a lot, but very few of them actually do it yeah. you know and they run and you, you know you have to run these analytics but so many times you know you're running a seat of the pants company you make these subjective calls about the look of something and you don't go by the numbers
2: I mean I think it's more a, a ex consultant uh, approach so okay. I used to spend a lot of time too many hours in front of an excel sheet when I was a consultant and and you know we have the beauty of being an in internet business where you can measure everything so why should we uh, just rely on opinions and you know on all the decisions we take we try to have uh, quantified analytics behind, because we all might like, like green or red or orange, but just test it and then take the winning option. So we built this, this, this company from the beginning, maybe also out of necessity. We never had 10 million to spend on something just to go out and do it. We were all, it was always our money. So therefore, you know, we, I think it was out of necessity, and then we built like a real religion about it at Buzoo.
0: That's an important lesson we've never heard on Silicon Real. Yeah. is to do the A, B, C testing and then run the numbers.
1: Yeah, your opinion means nothing. You know, yeah, exactly, kind of no. absolutely. Yeah, you're so right. <laughs> but you think your opinion means everything. Yeah, because yeah. yeah.
0: as an entrepreneur, the reason you're there in the first place is because you believe you know something that someone else doesn't. But once you create the idea, I guess you have to succumb uh, to, to the market. And,
2: and, and the, the thing is, like we, are, we have clients from over 200 different uh, countries, so literally from all countries in the world, and I don't know what a Turkish female user who is eighteen wants from you know a language learning course. Uh, my opinion is not valid for that. So that's why we do landing pages, you know, for specific countries and specific regions, and just make sure that it's optimized. And I think out of that, you can build you know quite a good business around.
0: Alright, let's talk quickly about the freemium business model. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, it's had some success. It's had some failure. Some gaming companies have been successful with it. Some are having a hard time lately. Yeah. What, um, how are you guys going to do it differently? And is it the way you want to keep it?
2: So the moment, um, you know, uh, I think there are a few success cases of freemium. I mean, if you think about SurveyMonkey, if you think about Evernote, uh, you know, I, th- I think they're they're Spotify to a certain extent. I Although think they're, they're, they're now with that they're too. now changing it, and but they have they have one problem, which is you know we have kind of zero marginal cost of our product. We don't pay any music uh, industry amounts if our free users use our product. In theory, it doesn't cost me anything, whether someone else now uses a premium membership or not. So that's a big advantage with virtual goods. That's why it's so good for 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 a, a freemium model, and. I think we really want to create a global business. We want to be the largest brand in language education in the world. And by that, by nature, we just want to be used by millions of people who potentially also might not pay for our platform. And there are several reasons why you might not be able to pay, because you don't have access to a credit card or to a payment method, or you, know, you might not have the, the, the money. And it's an education business where I also believe you know, some people simply cannot afford it. Fair enough. But there might be another percentage and obviously we're optimizing the 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 uh, number of percentage is those who, who pay for that and very happily pay for that and it's just making sure that you cut the product and the features right so it you know what you get for free is good enough to get a taste of the of the uh, product and to also use it constantly but also to get this impression of actually I should upgrade because then I will be much quicker in learning a language and I will just get more out of it. And if you face it, I mean, honestly ours is maybe five, six dollars a month. What you spend on in a pub or even if you're in Brazil, I mean, it's not that expensive. So if people know what impact it might have for them and their studies of how much more people can earn if they learn, if they know English, let's say in China or in Brazil, it's an amazing investment you can do. So therefore. It needs just to be the right cut between free and premium at the right time, not too so early. Don't you know, push the paywall in the face when you just have signed up and people don't even know what this is all about. Um, it's a lot about payment optimization, where you need to, especially in our case, we get payments literally from countries I've never heard of, very really small little islands in, in you know, the Caribbean sending us over 20 euros a month, where honestly it has a lot to do with optimizing you know, the payment, local payment methods that you offer. In some countries, people don't like to pay upfront, it's installments. Others like premium SMS. Others, you know, we offer a whole bunch of, of payment platforms, and I still need to optimize on that.
1: Who, who's behind the payment? You're, so we offer use...
2: different different platform. We use Adyen as a platform. We use PayPal. Uh, we Sorry, use what was the other one? Adyen. The... Adyen. Yeah, it's a guy guys from from the Netherlands okay. uh, who mm. have done a lot from for Groupone and other big players. Yeah. Uh, we use also payment wall. We lo- we use uh, local providers in Brazil and in Turkey. So we literally had to build up quite a strong localization because payment methods and payment habits are completely different in Kazakhstan versus Venezuela.
0: How about Bitcoin? Yeah, I know, I was about to say. (laughs) You don't want to I touch that, know. do you? I, don't I, know. Know. I would solve all do, your yeah. problems. I don't know. You um, remember, yeah, you remember that company, Boo
1: They were big till they touched Bitcoin. Yeah, exactly. Then it went all down. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Not sure about that. You tell yeah, your it. investors we got a million in the bank in Bitcoin. Probably able. Mr. But
2: Kaiser, he might have a different opinion. Yeah, he does.
1: He just started MaxCoin, by the way. <laughs> I imagine. So don't get me started about that. <laughs> but I mean,
0: if any company uh, should adopt Bitcoin, it's you, because you're talking about these crazy comp- countries you can't do credit card payments in Brazil. Yeah. These tiny little countries. Countries where they can easily do you a micro payment.
2: I'm still looking at that, so okay. I wouldn't discard for the future. But make right your own now, coin. Coin. Yeah, Busa coin. Busa you have a coin. You have to boost barriers which you collect over time. But okay. I mean, I wouldn't right now. It's so unpredictable of what's going to happen, and let's see. What's do you going. think
0: if you could integrate Bitcoin in some way that it would really help your business, or is it just? I think
2: whether it's Bitcoin or simply um, solving payments in general, I think there is you know several billions of dollars which could be unlocked if payments is solved in a very good way for emerging markets. There are so many platforms which still, let's say in Brazil, some providers only accept national credit cards because in Brazil, even if you have a credit card, you might not be allowed to pay uh, on on a foreign provider. So you actually need a local entity connected to a local bank it's a, it's a nightmare. So
0: many issues in Brazil. Because the AI yeah. isn't, isn't transferable out of the country. Exactly. A bunch of ta- yeah, yeah, yeah. The tax, the tax is, is a,
2: tax is a, a nightmare. Issues. And that's one country, but also China. I mean, mm-hmm. there's a lot of issues there. And I, I believe, you know, PayPal is doing a big bit of progress. You have Stripe, et cetera, et cetera. It's getting there. But companies like ours, we, we're just trying to optimize as much as we can. It could see.
0: make or break your business at some it point. Because that extra yeah. 20% in revenue from it's a massive. Bitcoin or a Stripe could. Yeah. We,
2: see, we yeah. see people in some countries who, you know, accept terms. Of conditions, put a product into the basket and want to go to checkout and we only might have two or three percent conversion rate out of that. Of people who literally want to hand the money into your into your account and you can't take it. I mean, it's a big, big. But then again,
1: (laughs) do you watch that happen? Yeah, I I watch this graph nearly every
2: morning, and it's 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 frustrating. (laughs) But it will be solved. And also, I think mobile carriers are going into the direction mobile billing. I'm going to NWC in a few weeks, and you know, there's a big topic of obviously charging directly such services via your 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 uh, mobile invoice you get on a monthly basis. It's getting there, but still big opportunity, I think.
0: Okay. Let's talk London really quick. You moved your business to London. Um, I'm just con- uh, curious if you're going to expand to the US at some point with staff over there. What do you think London needs to change if, if it wants to become more competitive? And what do you think we're doing right?
2: Hmm. Interesting, yeah. So I came from, from, from Madrid to London, and obviously, once I always heard about this tech city and Silicon Roundabout, <laughs> I always thought it's kind of the Champs Elysees of the internet the gold. business, like <laughs> the, the golden roundabout. And you Jeez. come to the tube Guys side, yeah. with beards Fucking everywhere.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
2: exactly. A I, few come people.
0: The, I come up from old Street stations sometimes, and I'm just like, Really? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah.
2: That's what I thought. Uh, but I mean, apparently, I don't know whether these 50 million pounds go into the station or not. But in any case, maybe if we just painted it, it would already look a little bit better. But besides <laughs> these very superficial uh, comments, it's, I think London, honestly, it's, it's, uh, it's a super place uh, for an international startup hub. Um, I think it's such a cosmopolitan city where, especially in our case, where we would need people with language skills and international background. I mean, we have in our office, we are nearly 40 people now. And, you know, we have people from, I think, 20 different nationalities. I don't think it's that easy to hire that if you're in in, in Silicon Valley or or in the U.S. So it is really an international app. And people understand international business here in London, international expansion. I think people in the U.S. understand very well how to grow, and scale tremendously fast, but mainly in the U.S. And I think people here understand how to scale beyond uh, those borders. Um, I think the government is doing a great job, and I'm always comparing it kind of to the Spanish and, and the kind of Austrian uh, network. I think government is, is doing a great job of putting digital on the agenda, putting you know learning to codes within the educational uh, system. I think actually UK is doing very well, um, and the tax city as such is already a strong brand. I would rather focus my efforts on into London. I mean, maybe the guys in Manchester don't want to hear that, and in other places. But it is very important to focus all the efforts into one city, because I saw it fail in Spain, where it's about Barcelona and Madrid, and the government. There is really not kind of two governments struggling about where the funds are going, and I think. An ecosystem survives and succeeds based on the number of people it has and then it's kind of a snowball effect which gets bigger and bigger and therefore I would rather focus you know, all my efforts into, into this city and London is doing a tremendous job on that. A lot of um, networking opportunities. In general I think people are very open and very eager to help each other, I've never seen a, Uh, a network which, you know, does networking so professionally, even if at the end they might be all drunk after a few pints, but (laughs) like at the beginning, it just works very well and people come prepared and go to a networking event in order to network. In Spain, it happens that after five minutes you talk already about football and, 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 and that's it. Here really, I think people understand how to leverage the value of the network. And I think, you know, in general, I'm super happy about our decision and there are very few things I would change.
0: Are you going to the States at some point? So
2: we, we are in the States. We have probably a few million users now in, in, in the States. It's nothing necessarily I would consider to have a physical location because we don't need that Just not necessarily. Necessary. It's a B2C business. We can acquire users from all over the world sitting here in London. And for tax reasons, etc., um, I don't necessarily see us having a physical location there. Obviously, with regards to fundraising, it's a different topic. And yes, we are talking to US funds. Uh, I think they're great funds here in London. And they obviously also need to compete with the, the US competitors. And funding also, especially if you compare it to continental Europe, in London is already pretty good. But still, I have the impression that... Obviously, check sizes are a bit bigger, it's easier to raise money, it's higher valuations, So there is simply more simpler access to capital. So I think what, what London needs is a bit more time, because it takes time to create uh, an ecosystem like in Silicon Valley, where you have not 10 or 15 people who have done a big IPO and have seen you know, how you scale a business from one to 500 employees and to $3 billion valuation. There are a few more people out there. And this knowledge automatically triggers down. And it's not about the founder, it's about the first CTO and the first head of marketing and so on. And those people now in the US suddenly have made money and reinvested into the ecosystem. This just takes time. So I think it's getting there in London, but probably it's a few years where hopefully many of us, you know, have, have done then this, this exits have, have learned the lessons and can trigger down this knowledge then to, to the, to other people. I want to go there.
0: I'm just thinking, as you from a venture cap guy in, in in America you know you're you have some real numbers that speak for themselves, and you know you're you're like, we don't need to go to the u s and scale and most of the people that sit in that chair are are thinking about how they're going to go and how they're going to tackle the west coast versus the East Coast, but you know you obviously have a really big market, you guys have come a long way it so it must be something that these people would look at,
2: yeah, I mean. Obviously, from a market perspective, language learning is simply much bigger in China than, than, in, than in the U.S. I mean, there's simply more language right. students out there in China than in the U.S. So our, our market, our consumer, is for a certain extent sitting in the U.S., but the much bigger opportunities in emerging markets.
1: How many users in China do you have?
2: Very limited for the time being. I think it now... Uh, we had been featured by Apple at the beginning of the year and we're number two in the Chinese education store uh, for a few weeks, which was great. But then again, in China, you have... Not only one, not, not only iTunes or Google Play, you have several yeah. stores, and finally, RefShare is 70 percent for the telecom and 30 percent for the publishers, so it's the other way around. Um, we might have now, I think, 400 to 500,000 users in China, but we still need to get into that market. so that's, that's yeah. a place where probably you cannot succeed yeah. unless you have a local partner,
1: right. And where's your biggest, in terms of user base, where where do you find most of them?
2: Number one is Brazil, number two is Russia. One
1: Brazil, two and number countries.
2: three, interestingly, is still the US, but other countries like Turkey, China, um, Uh, Colombia are also growing quite substantially.
1: And English is by far the most learning language. It's
2: like um, 60% of our users are learning English, but as we offer 132 language combinations because we have 12 different languages and you can learn uh, always like in all the uh, complementary Mm. uh, languages and we have very interesting combinations like Spanish for Brazilians, uh, Mandarin for Japanese, right. German for Turkish users, so it goes into, into all combinations.
0: Interesting. You know, we've heard the word gamification thrown around a lot. I think we should gamify Silicon Real at some point. Um, maybe getting on the show is a game, I don't know, <laughs> but true. is it something that you're trying to introduce for Busu, and is it a fad as well? I mean, <clears throat>
2: actually I think maybe one of the, we were probably one of the first education companies who implemented gamification. So from the beginning the concept of Blusool was super gamified. For example, Every, every language you learn is represented by a tree. The more you learn, the more the tree grows. If you're lazy, the tree shrinks and we send you motivational messages. <laughs> we introduced Boozoo Berries in 2009 or 10, when no one actually spoke about gamification as a word, which is, was a, is our currency which you collect. And people are super eager to collect Boozoo Berries and you can spend it in the virtual garden to buy some stuff for, you, for your garden where you're going to buy a sheep or a dog or, or something. Um, so we have implemented gamification quite a lot. And as mentioned in the beginning, <clears throat> it's a lot about motivation. And if people find it somehow motivational that they have more points than their friends, then let's just let them play. And yes, for sure, I think it's a core theme in education as general. We need to get rid of this whole concept of I need to learn. And this automatically like, triggers this negative stimuli of I oh, learn, like me sitting as a student at home and doing homework. Sounds horrible. Learning should be as positive. I need to play, and it should be in a way that actually you play and you learn something behind, but you don't even notice that it's, you know, uh, it's it's a learning hour. It should be like a playful hour, and it should be very satisfactory. So, we are whatever you do. In the new version of our product, we will give you very positive stimuli. So you're always doing something good. Because it should not be, yeah, oh, you've done a mistake, and you've done this wrong, and again. It's like this negative idea of learning. And we want to get rid of that. It should be just fun.
0: Yeah, languages are Super tricky. True. I, yeah. I, I tried to learn Italian like 8, 10 years ago, and I had a guy coming over every week. And yeah. then I wasn't listening to any Italian radio or TV. And so like all I did was talk to him once a week. Like that's not, that didn't work. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, no, languages that's, are fascinating. So
1: that's interesting. You, you know, What do you say to your critics that say, I don't care. The only way, the best way to learn a language, the only way is to be immersed and private lessons.
2: Yeah. So we did a study among 40,000 users uh, what's the most effective uh, way to learn a language. And number one clearly was to go abroad. And I 100% agree on that. I mean, honestly, if I can choose to go to Brazil and learn Portuguese or sit at home and, and, and do a few exercises, obviously I would choose to go to Brazil. But the fact is, that for the vast majority of the people out there learning a language, it's not affordable and possible to be in that country. And for many, also for visa purposes, they cannot even be in the country uh, where, 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 the, where the language comes from. Mexican, Venezuela, etc. I mean, you need to be in that country before you can actually apply for a visa. You need to have English skills in order to apply for the visa. So therefore, I completely agree, yes, full immersion is the best. But then second, it's probably the tool which is most accessible and easiest to be used. And if you think about driving to the language school, sitting on the table around with 10 other English native speakers, talking Italian to each other, is definitely not the most effective way language learning should work. So by rather going there and spending my time in the tube and then coming back after work, I should be just doing it on a very quick way with a mobile phone. Therefore, our goal is we want to be you know, the most efficient uh, tool to learn a language, which is you know, besides going into the language and spending time there.
0: You know, Bernard, we always ask people at the end uh, uh, a question. I'm going to hit you with it. If you can make a phone call to the 20-year-old Bernard, I guess you were probably undergraduate as well, and, and give that young man a bit of advice, what would you tell him?
2: Oh, Jesus, an interesting one. 20-year-old, since year like years ago. Still in Austria. Uh, yeah, exactly. Still in Austria, still not finished with university. I mean, I think I honestly wouldn't change that much, and I honestly definitely wouldn't tell this guy to avoid the mistakes that I have done because I think it's so important to make mistakes and just learn from that. And therefore it's important to make those mistakes. And even if it takes time and money and whatsoever, um, I probably would have uh, told this guy, if you ever found a company don't do it necessarily in Spain at the beginning, but, you know, do it in a, in a hub where there is already an ecosystem. So I think that's definitely an advice. But then again, I mean, just stay passionate with that idea. Don't let yourself down with people who tell you that your idea is not going to work. Just keep on hitting it, stay focused, and then, you know, you will have a joyful ride.
0: Did the 20-year-old have any idea that you would be doing a tech startup?
2: Yeah, I had pretty shitty ideas, I think, at that time. And I'm very glad that I never <laughs> implemented them. So I'm glad I met my co-founder and we did Dembusu together. So uh, so
1: it's interesting to touch on, you know, you wouldn't change being a consultant for not at all. Reviews, Th- that's which... exactly
2: what I meant. Right. I would definitely recommend in terms of career path, study business, Go into consultancy because it is, it is a, a tough world. You learn a lot about Excel, about numbers, about how to present your ideas to solve complex problems. You learn how to work hard. I mean, if you face it, uh, I mean, we had, uh, as in consulting, as in the startup world, like 100 hours, weeks, and that's, that's the way it is. And I think mm-hmm. I just learned it at, in the consulting time. So it shaped me as a professional and gave me, to a certain extent, the tools which I then needed for, for my startup. I also enjoyed the MBA a lot, and uh, yeah, now I'm a married man, a father, so I wouldn't change that much. So. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Would you have had a kid earlier?
0: No, okay, no, no, good. No, now no. Good time in there. Yeah. Just the second part of that question, what's the best advice you've ever received?
2: Oof. Um, best advice I've ever received? Could
0: be business advice.
2: I mean... <laughs> there's so many and it's always tough to, to choose one and they might fit in one time of your life than others but I think it's it's really about focus at the end in, 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 in business and being persistent I think um, you know which you hear from different people but it's so important to just you know stick and continuously like go with it and don't put yourself off and maybe it's not an advice but it's a common knowledge it's A bit about the idea but it's much more about the execution and I think that's what we really realized that we had a good idea several people had this idea but at the end what made the difference was actually the execution of it and I think that's the advice I would give people like focus on execution don't do too many things at the same time and just pull through and go ahead and at the end hopefully it will turn out well
0: it's good advice, man. Very good advice. <laughs> Last part of that question. You touched on it a bit earlier, but to the 20-year-old listening to us in China or Brazil or Russia, uh, what advice do you give to them you know, if they want to, I don't know, maybe get involved in, in the tech industry or follow a path like you did?
2: Yeah. You know, I think um, it, it really, uh, as mentioned before, it's obviously once you're not in those startup hubs, it becomes more difficult. But then again, There's so many talented people out there around the world. And if you go to Bogota or to Sao Paulo, I mean, you're amazed about the amount of talent. And as London will maybe take a few years to get to a stage in the US, those countries will take a few years to go get to that stage. But then again, they're super hungry. And you know, especially with, with being a mentor or an advisor and going to different events, you really see how ambitious those people are. And I think we all have to you know, speed up and catch up to, in order to compete internationally. And those people you know, should also like, learn from other uh, international uh, startup success cases, connect themselves, and also be very open. Um, in some countries, it's not so open. It's not so common to share your knowledge, to share your mistakes as well. And even if people are in a competitive area, like I have the feeling in in London that actually people are very happy and it feels like a bit of a family. And that's something I would also recommend to people in more emerging markets to create this sense of community and ecosystem. Meet up as much as you can, Uh, learn from each other, like help each other, because that's what drives uh, then the whole uh, community forward.
0: I like that sharing information. We had that guy, Steph, the hacker that was in here and he wrote a blog talking about signing disclosure agreements and he's like, I don't sign disclosure agreements. It's like, that's just a big waste of everyone's time. Absolutely. He's like, if you really don't trust me, don't tell me the idea but most likely by having a conversation about what I'm doing and what you're doing the problem is going to get solved, and exactly. it's going to be down to execution anyways. Exactly. Absolutely. So, so
1: yeah. Uh, yeah, no, that's really well said. Um, yeah. Anything I missed? Just one thing I'd love to hear your thoughts. So, you are going up against some massive giants in the education space. Yeah. How are you going to beat not only the competitors of the Es, the Rosetta Stones, the Berlitzes, but also... The duolingos of the world and, and some of the other guys how are you gonna win in this space in five years
2: so the thing is luckily the industry itself or the the market itself is big enough it's not a winner-takes-it-all market it's not that Facebook and there's will be we only one Facebook I believe there might be several players out there in a few years And that's, again, a bit about personal taste. Some people might like more grammar, others might like more unstructured courses, and others really like the the practice with native communities. I think like there's Coca-Cola and Pepsi and all sorts of drinks we take. I think there's not just one route to learn another language. There will be several routes. The market is big enough. Um, But the way we see ourselves competing, and obviously... um, Yes, to a certain extent. It is a, a, a competition on clicks, on you know, attention with users, and you won't, don't, won't have five apps on your mobile phone to learn Spanish, but rather maybe uh, one. Um, it's a lot about super co- high-quality content. So at the end of the day, an app might be super gamified and fun, but if the content isn't good enough, then I don't think you know, it will succeed. So we are investing a lot on content. Um, I think our big differentiator is the community. So we have something very unique where people, you know, practice with each other and are in touch, and that really differentiates us. And also in terms of the adaptive learning, I think we're uh, ahead of our competitors. We're doing something unique uh, in that sense, and I think we can differentiate there. But then again, you know, if you now go on the street in Istanbul and ask the people, how do you learn, a lang- how do you learn English? I don't think anyone will name, nor Buzoo, nor Duolingo, nor uh, maybe It's I don't know. But it's really about the market is big enough and the industry itself you know, uh, needs to evolve a lot. And publishers, to a certain extent, are not that quick. I mean, they come from a world of books and, and, and an industry which hasn't really changed that much. And we have been living and breathing and, and, and starting to grow up now with mobile devices and we understand how you know uh, to, 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 to develop this kind of products on a mobile and, and, and web platform. So I think we are, we are quick enough to
0: move fast. Excellent. Yeah, for people that want to get your app, what's the best way? What's the easiest way? Visit
2: uh, buzzu.com, B-U-S-U-U.com slash mobile if you have a mobile device. If not, sign up for free and uh, yeah hope you enjoyed. it yeah. and actually by the way i haven't mentioned but we about to release quite a big change of our existing product if you still go to the old website it looks like the old website, and it's not uh, you know uh, it's it's basically a site which is based on what we did from 2008 till 2010 11. i didn't want to say anything yeah better not because <laughs> it will change dramatically okay. we have spending actually we have actually spent and that's, that's a big thing for a startup. like literally seven, eight months developing something completely different behind the scenes. We haven't released it yet, only in a few test markets, only to a certain percentage of users. But the rollout is going to happen as we speak. So I think by next week, we will increase the threshold of people seeing the new website. And it's a completely different animal. So I can't wait on, until it's out. The new mobile app is already out. Check it out. It looks good. But uh, on the website, it will come very soon.
0: Exciting stuff. Um, how can people get in touch with you? Are you a Twitter guy?
2: I'm a Twitter Amen. guy. My name is Bernardo with three O's at the end, I think. I'm not as uh, I don't use Twitter as much as I probably should do. And if not, it's Bernhard at Buzu.com. Just send me an email. More than happy to, to meet up.
0: Fantastic story. I love it. Very pro London. It's uh, amazing, yeah. yeah, it's super cool. Some great tips and some things we haven't heard here uh, before uh, on Silicon Real. So, uh, love it. If you're listening to us on iTunes, you can check out all of our faces on our our YouTube channel or on Twitter at Silicon Real. Um, We've gotten a bunch of volunteers recently, right? It's been amazing. So, it keeps like our tipping point. You know, (laughs) we've got all sorts of uh, guys, some girls, some video people, everyone is just Yeah, we're helping.
1: So, you know, cool guy, Simon, from who, who lives in Spain now, Aussie guy, he's cutting up some of our clips for us. Right. And we're gonna, you know, we're trying to yeah. take some great stuff that we've learned from all of our different interviews and kind of put them all together in one right. clip, right. Which, like, which I think would be really cool. I think,
0: so, like, the 20-year-old question I asked yeah. you, I think he's putting them all together. Yeah, yeah. great. So, so, yeah, that's so a great So, thank you
1: guys, and, yeah, all the help. Uh, we're doing this for you guys, and uh, just feedback, help, guest suggestions. Yeah, guest suggestions, it, all yeah, that stuff. So, yeah, cool.
0: fantastic. As we say at Silicon Real, it's about the people. You are one of them. Thanks. Thanks so much for coming. <laughs> it was a pleasure. It's, uh, it's an exciting thing to watch and uh, it's going to be a lot of fun so, and I wish you guys all the best.
2: Thank you very much. It was really a pleasure being here.
0: Okay, guys. Take care.
2: When we first started it, you know, it was just a monster in a room and uh, kids went crazy for it because you could adopt your own pet
0: monster, which was the cool kind of tagline. Uh, And then we built out the world and it was kind of like Frankenstein's monster because we just added this and added that and added this. And so now the world is huge. There are six main monsters you adopt and you nurture and look after and you play with. Uh, But you can also message your friends. You can have your best friends on there. Um, It's really kind of got stealth education baked in. Once we did all of that stuff, it really started to take off. It was one of those hockey stick
2: curves that you don't often see.